Today on the Phylighter Podcast, seven steps you can take to propel your momentum forward on your path to financial independence. These steps will include a spending analysis, net worth, current year forecast, an annual plan, a midterm plan, a life plan, and social security. Stay with us today as we learn about these seven steps on your path to financial independence. Are you a millennial, Gen Xer, or a young boomer? Do you want to learn more about financial independence? Are you contemplating or already in early retirement? The Lighter podcast highlights, or as we like to say, Lights, issues around your financial independence. Join the community as we explore millennial-boomer relationships and pass the best lessons down to next-gen Phi millennials. We will talk about FIRE from FU money to early retirement. Hello, welcome to Lighter episode 8. I hope you're having a great day. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about some steps you can take on your path to early retirement and financial independence. This content comes primarily from a post 4.0 on the Phylighter blog. If you'd like to check that out, go to phylighter.com and click on the blog post, and you'll be able to go right down to number 4.0. I'd like to just kind of back away a second and talk big picture. You know, this past year has been one that allowed for a lot of things to happen that might not typically happen in our lives. Uh, And one of those things was there was an opportunity to spend more time uh, with people that are important relationships in your life, uh, at least to the extent uh, your your spouse, your family, uh, maybe your parents. Hopefully there were opportunities for you to communicate more and dream a little bit, basically have deeper conversations. A major point of the Phylighter name is to consider a trajectory to reach financial independence and achieve a slightly early retirement. You may already have a routine financial plan or budget reviews and a retirement conversation occasionally as a matter of course with your significant other. Or if you're single, you may have given serious thought or taken actions and formal steps to achieve this future state of financial independence. As I've stated in previous posts and podcasts, education and data are key in understanding your preparedness and status to achieving FU money, financial independence, early retirement, or other personal goals tied to financial milestones. As a reminder, recall the disclaimer, we're not tax or investment experts and are not in any way providing expert advice. Please seek your own tax, legal, or other professional for advice and counseling. Phylighter accepts no responsibility for any actions or activities you may take based on anything discussed on the website, posting, podcast, or any comments. Okay, let's move on and get started with today's content. going to cover several items today. I hate to use the word homework, but each of these items you could consider a homework assignment. You don't have to do them all before the next uh, Phylighter episode, but by all means, jot each of them down and decide which ones you want to take action on first. Some of these may be done in certain orders, might be more effective, but any one of them would be a step toward your path to financial independence. 
A number of these could be their whole episode uh, as a standalone topic, but we're going to kind of take a 50,000-foot view, and each of these are steps in that process. Okay, the first item we're going to talk about, number one, is the spending analysis. Some people like to call this a budget, but it's really a precursor to any budget or long-term plan. To prepare an effective forward look on your personal finances, there has to be a basis or a beginning reference point with the high correlation to what your future expenses will be. Uh, And the goal of this exercise is to understand your current expenses with a high enough level of confidence that you can use that as a basis to project what your future needs are going to be. Personally, to confirm our spending, I began with downloads from the credit card, the bank statement, healthcare spending account, wherever you have detailed transactions. Download all those for the year. And I use categories that came off the credit card download to organize this information at the transaction level and added a few unique categories that were important for us because remember, finance is personal, right? I had some specific items that I needed to add categories for because they were pretty large items and things I wanted to track separately to understand our overall spending in each of the categories. If you take all this information and put it in a pivot table, or put it into an Excel spreadsheet, it's very easy to analyze it or organize it and look at trends. But it's really important, I think, that if you can at all possibly do this, to download a full 12-month picture of your information. Why 12 months? Well, a 12-month view of your transactional data will include things that you maybe pay only annually or semi-annually or quarterly things that are lumpy, if you want to use that word, lumpy expenses that just happen certain times. You won't pick those up if you don't look at a long enough period where they occur. So I'd strongly suggest 12 months, six months would get any semi-annual items, quarterly would pick up any kind of quarterly items, but be aware if you use less than 12 months, you may need to go take a picture of things that are annual payments like property taxes or an annual insurance premium or a semi-annual car insurance premium, something that you don't pay routinely, by routinely I mean every month, that you need to consider in projecting your expenses going forward. But at a minimum, get three months. That'll pick up at least the quarterly items and be sure and add in those lumpy items that we talked about. Once you build a database, you can use those pivot tables and easily research and and perform spending analysis to understand what you spend on an annual basis in each of the categories that you're going to go ahead and track going forward. Pivot tables are my comfort zone, but even if you use a pencil and paper, it'll accomplish the same goal. If you sit down at the kitchen table with 12 months worth of statements, whether they be credit card statements or bank statements, and put the information in an organized way on a sheet of paper by column, by category, you will still be able to look at the information and extract the important analytical components of what you're spending by category. And that's what we're going to use going forward in one of the other items where we talk about an annual plan. Okay, that's it for the spending analysis. Number two is net worth. Don't let this term scare you. It's simple math. What do you own less what do you owe or liabilities? So what do you own or your assets minus 
what you owe or your liabilities. So your financial net worth is simply the difference between your assets and your liabilities or obligations. The goal is to grow this to a positive number. In the case of a person just starting out their career as a doctor or an attorney or someone that's been in school for several years, they may have a mound of student loan debt. Their assets may be much smaller than their liabilities, which generates a negative net worth, where you add the assets, subtract the liabilities, and the result is negative. Don't be discouraged if your negative net worth. Each month, you will earn a paycheck and make deposits in a retirement plan and begin to build assets and reduce or pay off your liabilities. Your net worth will reflect improvements. Eventually, it will become a growing positive number. Don't underestimate the value of this step. If you don't have a reference point or a net worth starting point, you can't navigate to the destination of financial independence. Many people are surprised when they add up their home value, their retirement accounts, their investments, bank accounts, emergency funds, and subtract their student loans or their car loans, mortgages, medical debt. They find out they're already millionaires. Where 30-year-olds sometimes find out they're already a six-figure net worth. Each number in this calculation is a lever that you can pull or adjust to favorably impact your future net worth. So for those assets you can grow and those liabilities you can reduce, you will impact your net worth in a positive way. If you grow your liabilities faster than you grow your assets, you will impact your net worth in a negative way. One story I'd just like to share here. My daughter drives a 2010 Corolla. We gave her that car with 40,000 miles on it and a new set of Michelin tires when she graduated and moved to a big city. When she got out of school, she was talking new car pretty hard. But here we are almost seven years later, and what is she driving? Yeah, you got it. A 2010 Corolla with 120,000 miles on it. It's March of 2021, and, and she's still driving that car. And last night, she did throw out the idea of buying a Tesla. Anyway, at least up until this point, she figured out she valued the flexibility of higher positive cash flow and net worth growth more than a smelly, shiny new car. She achieved a solid FU balance and is growing the gap. She probably has heard a hundred times from me, having cash gives you options. And having options means opportunities can become actions. The point is, you have to know where you are to figure out how long the path to financial independence may be in front of you. Or conversely, you may already be financially independent and you didn't even know it. Okay, let's move on to number three. Number three is a current year forecast. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but if you have done planning of an annual budget or something of that nature, during the year, you might want to step back and say, hey, let's project out the rest of the year. Are we on track? Do we need to make adjustments in a positive or negative way? And are there some things that we can consider in the rest of this year that we weren't thinking were possible when we did our plan for the year? So, for instance, if you're saving money on vacations or some things that you thought you would spend and didn't, and now you're looking at summertime coming up and you realize, hey, we can, we can take a trip 
airlines are going to open back up. Maybe we can travel in the air. We can do some things that we didn't think we were going to be able to afford because we spent a whole lot less early in the year. It may be that you're looking ahead and say, hey, you know, we can make some car purchases that we wanted to make. Or maybe, you know, you're planning to buy a a new home and, and you've already accumulated the down payment. And so you can move forward and seize the opportunity to, to buy a, a piece of real estate while the interest rates are still very low. If you know, you've been watching the um, interest rates have been slightly moving back up a little bit and mortgage rates are also ticking up along with that. So the affordability of real estate, a really key point to consider. Okay, the next one is item four. An annual plan. Number four is an annual plan. What does your income and expense budget look like for the next year? Can you grow the gap? Can you increase income or decrease expenses? Are you investing the difference? Will you pay off the debts this year and create more breathing room in the future to deploy funds elsewhere like investments? Will you use found money to pay more debt? Or will you grow your retirement accounts or a fund a 529 plan for a child's education? Doing an annual plan is a great way to get a clear view of what you plan to do with your money as you earn it each year. Or in the case of a retiree, you do an annual plan to figure out what are you going to spend it on and making sure that you're spending at a rate that is still low enough to keep it below the threshold that will lead to you having enough money to last the rest of your life. In any part of the spectrum in financial independence, an annual plan is a great exercise in looking at your future year and what your income and expenses might be. If you don't do an annual plan, you probably don't have a real clear picture of what your monthly expenses are going to be and what your monthly income is going to cover. It might even be, okay, I know you're going to say, no, no, that can't happen, Paul, but it might even be that you figure out you're spending money quicker than you're making money. And that might be the reason you're carrying a credit card balance. That might be the reason that you can't seem to grow your investment accounts. Or even worse, you, you, you realize that your investment accounts may be growing, but so is your credit card statement. And you, you are actually paying 25% interest or something close to that on a credit card and think you're coming out ahead by investing that money and, pay, and rolling over your credit card with the minimal payment every month. Uh, Let me break some news to you. There may be some very isolated situations where your money grows faster in investments than you pay interest on credit cards. But let me tell you, those are very isolated situations. 99 times out of 100, you're probably paying more in credit card interest every month than you're making on your investment growth every month. But that's a whole different discussion when we get into the investment side of the equation. We've done some some posts and talked about in podcasts before. Time in the market beats timing the market. You want to be in for when those market volatility moments happen on the positive side. Uh, and you also happen to be in the market when they happen on the negative side. But that's for another discussion. Let's move on. Number five, a midterm plan. What in the world do I mean by a midterm plan? Well, a midterm plan is kind of looking out over a five-year horizon. Say you have a couple of kids in junior high or in high school, and you look out over the next five years and you realize, 
I'm going to have two kids in college at the same time. Am I going to be prepared for that? And my income is not going to cover our own expenses considering the kids in college as well if you're planning to help your kids out with their college expenses. Another thing, let's leave leave the children's situation out of the consideration. And let's just think about things like buying another car. Is your car that's in the driveway right now going to last you five more years? Or is that something you need to plan for to replace in the next two years or three years or four years where you can actually put away the funds in an account with a purpose to replace that car? So the next time you buy a car, you pay cash for it. You don't finance it. You don't pay interest on it. You know, those are the things that um, you can begin to consider when you're looking at a five-year horizon where you're thinking about life changes. You're thinking about large purchases that might need to be made. Are you planning on having a wedding for a daughter or son that you want to help out with? You know, things like this. Uh, Do you have kids that are going to age into being licensed drivers? Are you going to have to buy another car? Do you plan to buy that car or is your son or daughter going to buy it themselves? Anyway, long story short, a midterm plan kind of gives you a look at that horizon. And when you begin to see those large dollar expenses out in that five-year horizon, you realize that you need to add into your annual plan a savings amount that will allow you to make those purchases in the future and not have to borrow money or finance things on a credit card, let's say a caterer for a graduation party or for a wedding or something like that, where you're actually not able to pay it off when the bill comes in and you continue to pay 25% interest on it. Makes no sense when you knew it was coming. Those things are clear as day. They're going to take place. I can almost promise you with a high degree of certainty that the car in your driveway will not be there 10 years from now. Most people would say, of course, 10 years from now, I won't have that car. But you know, my daughter is driving a 2010 Corolla and it's 2021. That's an 11 year old car. My son is driving a 2004 Chevy pickup. That car is going on 17 years old. It can happen at any day. I know that That car or that truck may have a situation where it's going to need to be replaced. You know, that can happen with a car that's a year old. I don't wish it on anybody, but somebody can have an accident and the car gets totaled and you've got to get another car. Do you have replacement value on your car insurance? Or are they going to write it down to current book value and cut you a check for something like that, less your deductible? Realize that if something like that happens, you're going to have to go buy another car to commute back and forth to work or whatever it is you need the car for, assuming you actually need the car. That's enough on that. That's the midterm plan, number five. Well, let's move on to the next one. If you haven't picked up on the trend, you'll notice now. Number six is the life plan. Life plan, number six. What in the world do I mean by a life plan? Well, based on all the items that we've already kind of talked about, spending analysis, the uh, annual plan, kind of a midterm plan that looks out five years, a life plan is a little longer horizon. Uh, This is one of the things that I really put a lot of work into before I made the decision to uh, walk out the door as an early retiree at my peak earnings uh, in my career. Uh, I can't tell you how many hours I spent working on this, looking at it, uh, analyzing it. Based on the items above, 
you know, what does your financial picture look like for the rest of your life? And a life plan forces you to think a lot. Uh, You've got to think a little bit about, hmm, how long am I going to live? Wow, that's something I hadn't thought about lately. Well, I'll tell you what, the older you get, the more you realize you, you think about how long you're going to live. There's this term that uh, I've said it before, you know, in, in retirement, there's three phases of retirement. There's go-go years, there's slow-go years, and there's no-go years. So if you don't remember anything else from this episode, remember that every year you work, you're consuming a go-go year, okay? Uh, Not a slow-go year or a no-go year. Those will happen anyway. But the go-go years, they disappear every year. A life plan doesn't really have to be a line-by-line detail budget with extreme details, but it definitely needs to include uh, the large items in your budget and some categories that will catch all the other smaller expense items to make sure you have a full load of expenses and uh, any expected income as you move out in life. I would suggest on this one that you just use annual columns, not monthly columns, but annual columns. And each of those columns, you'll have a full year's worth of expenses based on your calculations of your annual budget or using the spending analysis you did in item one. I went out to 90 years old, but if you want to plan for living to 100, plan to live to 100. Remember, I'm not a financial expert. Get your own advice and and, and your own financial planning professionals, but this is a great way to at least get some data on paper for a dialogue. The life plan document uh, was the main validation tool, as I said, that that I used in making my decision. I put on there all the income sources uh, like Social Security at the age I plan to take Social Security, put my wife's Social Security on it. Right now at this point, I'm planning to live long enough that I'm going to defer my Social Security until I'm 70 years old. And my wife may or may not take hers earlier than that, but that's at least my plan for now. So I made that assumption and built it into my life plan. We're going to talk more about Social Security in the next item. So let's move on to some other pieces of the life plan. When you work on the life plan spreadsheet, it's important to include your assets and your liabilities as well as your projected income and expenses. As fun in the future will have to come from the income sources or your drawdown of those assets. When I say drawdown of an asset, I mean, for instance, let's say you have an investment account that has a a large portion of it is stock or bonds or index funds, and you'll have to sell or liquidate those assets over time to pay for your expenses. There might be some reasons to position your portfolio a little differently if you're closer to the drawdown phase in your retirement. You obviously probably don't want to accept the risk of a large decline in equities or stocks, stock index funds, when you need to liquidate them, sell them to cover your expenses. It may also be that some of your assets are real estate. So in your life plan, you may make a plan to sell real estate, sell your larger house and downsize to a smaller house, you know, that you'll get double benefits out of. You'll capture the liquidity from the sale of that larger house and then pay cash for the smaller house potentially. And it'll free up some space in your budget because your expenses will be lower as well. The insurance will be lower. The property taxes will be lower. Several items that typically would would be maintenance costs or whatever will all be lower for that smaller property. As you begin to drive less, will you reduce the number of vehicles? 
Will you, or will you go the other direction and add an RV or a boat, a motorhome when you retire? So when you do a life spreadsheet, you can actually put those dreams in the numbers, okay? Those plans in the numbers. Those things become real when you actually put a number in a document and you say, I'm going to spend $70,000 on an RV when I'm 59 or 60 years old. And I'm going to buy a tow vehicle at the same time because I'm buying a trailer. I'm going to put in $50,000 for a used three-quarter ton diesel truck that I want to pull my RV with. You can make those kind of assumptions in your life plan and then begin to step back and say, with all my goals and all my assumptions here, does my life plan work? Do I have enough money or assets to do the things I want to do in the future? Or do I need to step back and reassess what I can spend in retirement? Let's say you put in that RV and that boat and the storage unit and the second real estate property on the coast and all these things that you think you want to do when you retire. And then you look back and say, wow, I'm negative $2 million by the time I'm 90. Well, guess what? You can't spend that fast if you're going to be negative $2 million when you're 90. You need to step back and say, okay, what is a realistic lifestyle that I can afford with what I have available for retirement? And then fit that lifestyle within those numbers. So I encourage you to do two things in this life plan exercise. I want you to dream big and be generous on the items you plan to do. And I want you to be conservative in the expense categories because by conservative, I mean if you think you're only going to spend $500 a month on all your utilities and insurance for your home, plan $700 a month. Make sure your numbers are going to cover your expenses. You may want to make an assumption that you have a contingency line. That's what I did. I put in a contingency line. It covers any surprises. It covers things that are not in the budgeted numbers above. It covers some of the potential what if this happens that are in your head. And you say, well, you know, if I if I don't have money put away for this surprise, what if I have to buy a car? What if I have to what if I have to help one of my kids out? Uh, what if I want to help one of my kids out, but I can't afford it? What if grandma needs help? Uh, what if I have a medical surprise, a large balance to pay off? Some some things that I just can't see. Are all these things going to happen in your retirement? No. I'm going to say that again. Are all the possible bad things going to happen to you in life? No. Are some of these surprises going to happen? Yes, they can. They absolutely can. So I think it's probably not appropriate to say, I have a tight retirement plan, life plan, and I am only going to spend exactly this amount of money because... Chances are you don't know what you don't know, okay? You don't know what's going to happen that's going to cause you to need other funds. You also don't know what's going to happen on the positive side, which is why you have to periodically look at it. If it's your goal to leave a large estate for your, you know, your legacy uh, children or charities you want to give funds to, that can be a life goal. But don't let that be a surprise, okay? If you plan to do some things in your retirement years, but you keep holding back from spending that money, you're going to get another year older and the balances are going to grow instead of shrink. And then eventually you're going to get 
into those slow go and no go years and the ability to even do those things has gone. The window has closed. So it's important to do the things you need to do while you're still capable and active and, and able to really enjoy them and make memories and have those experiences. But if you don't keep those things within reasonableness in your life plan, you might find that you did a lot of spending early in your retirement and you run out of money in later in your retirement. You won't know that till you get a little closer. You know, you're looking at a big bank balance or big investment balance. And you think, oh, I got plenty of money until you don't, okay? Because that money used to grow because it used to earn dividends and, and go up on the equity side. And the more you spend of it, the less it grows on its own. That compounding effect is not nearly as strong as it was the day you started your retirement when you had a large asset balance. Okay, I think I've gone long enough on that topic. Let's move on to number seven. Number seven, Social Security. This is the bonus one. Number seven is something that I think will be kind of surprising. And I do want to give you a few details on this one because I just think that each of you will be surprised. I'll put a link to the Social Security website you can go to if you haven't already done it. And you can download your Social Security earnings estimated benefit statement. This is a great document. And there are a lot of things on it that'll surprise you. Go right there. Right now, it's uh, www.ssa.gov. If you go to that website and you log into your account, you know, you ought to do it once a year just to track it and make sure that what you pay into it actually shows up in your account. But yeah, put it on your calendar. Do it every year about the time you have to pay taxes. By then, you know, you can look back at the prior year and it'll have another year's worth of information. But in addition to looking at your just your statement, because they have a statement on there, select the earnings record option. This view can be copied and pasted into a spreadsheet. The point is you want to get it somewhere where you can do some math. You know, focus on the taxed Medicare earnings number, because these are not uh, income limited numbers. They go all the way up as high as you earn. So I want you to look at that column of numbers. I want you to digest uh, these annual data points. You insert the columns. Calculate your accumulated earnings each year, as well as increases and decreases. For instance, if you have one column that's your tax Medicare earnings by year, on the right of that column, maybe on the next column over, add the previous year to the current year and copy down a formula that keeps your accumulated tax Medicare earnings and the number will grow each year as you add each year's earnings. So, for instance, if you earn $10,000 in your first work year in Social Security wages, the next year you earn 12000 then your accumulated earnings will be 22000 which is just the previous year plus the current year. Then you take that accumulated number, add it to the next year to get the next year's accumulated earnings. Add up those accumulated earnings for each year, and then in the next column over, Put an increase or decrease column. And by that, I mean what you earned this year compared to what you earned last year. For instance, 2020 wages minus 2019 wages would be the increase or decrease for 2020. Then step back and do a little calculation. Here are the things I want you to look for. How many years did it take you to reach $100,000 in cumulative earnings? Knowing today's uh, engineers or accountants, you know, it's probably not as many years as it did for guys like us, but you will find that 
surprisingly, you got there maybe quicker than you thought. How long did it take you to get to a million or two million? Keep in mind, these are gross wages. And while it is the amount you earned, your net pay would be reduced by all of the federal taxes, Social Security, Medicare tax, and any other deductions on your checks. How much have you earned life to date? Are you surprised by these numbers? Here's the point. You ask yourself sometimes, after you look at that earnings number, your life wages, and you say, where did it all go? Because it's a large number. Takeaways here is to realize you probably have made and had more money pass through your hands than you realize. You will have a number to assume for Social Security income in your life plan that we talked about above. Also, an idea whether you may defer to age 70 or not for a higher income amount. My personal cash break-even is age 82. So if I wait till 70 for a higher benefit, versus taking the full retirement at age 67, I will have to live to 82 before I come out ahead in dollar for dollar. Said another way, if I start taking payments at 67, I will have 36 monthly payments before age 70. However, my benefit would have been larger if I waited till 70. And the larger benefit, that larger benefit takes 12 years to make up the deferral of the 36 payments from 67 to 70. But after the 12 years, you're better off for taking the deferral to age 70. That means I've got to live to be 82 years old before I come out ahead of, and just purely on a cash basis, of taking the deferral and waiting to age 70 to start taking my Social Security payments. There are many different strategies on claiming Social Security just make a guess for now and use that in your life plan. Uh, I was surprised by several things looking back on the Social Security analysis, you know, and I'll throw out a few of those. At age 24, I reached $100,000 in accumulated earnings. Now, that included the earnings I had when I worked in high school and college, as well as my first few years in professional employment. And then at age 36, I reached a million dollars in cumulative earnings. Now, was I a millionaire at age 36? No, absolutely not. <laughs> there wasn't even close. But at age 36, I had already earned a million dollars. Now, when I say earned, I mean that gross number. Um, make no mistake, uh, Social Security, federal income taxes, Medicare taxes, all those things that come out of your paycheck shrink that million dollars pretty quickly. But the next thing I noticed was that my earnings, now remember I asked you to compare this year's earnings to last year's earnings and show the increase or decrease in a column. If you go to the, the next cell, you can actually calculate a percentage if you'd like. My earnings went up more than 25% several different years in my career. That kind of surprised me. I knew I had some promotions and raises along the way and occasionally some good years, but I was surprised to see that my earnings went up more than 25% several times. But here's another kicker. My earnings went down more than 25% three times during my career. And you think, okay, well, 25% reduction. Well, no, it was a lot worse than that, okay? My earnings went down 34% one time. My earnings went down 62% once. 
And another year, my earnings went down 42%. None of these related to any unemployment. I was continually employed since college graduation. Okay, so step back and think about this. Imagine if my lifestyle and my spending habits would have creeped up to my earnings level and then I got hit with one of these bad years, let's say 34 percent. Okay, well, maybe that bad year you get through and, you know, you got some emergency funds and use some investments or whatever. But what about 62 percent? What if I was spending up to that level? and I hit a 62% reduction in in income. That would have been absolutely devastating, like sell the house, trade in the car, get a beater. It would have been a lifestyle change for me if I would have cut my pay 62%, and had I uh, been spending at that higher pay level, it would have been catastrophic. Well, that's that's all I'm going to say about the Social Security statement. I think you will be pleasantly surprised uh, in a positive and in a negative way because you'll also realize that even though you earned a lot of money, you may or may not have a lot of money to show for it. It will be uh, a good perspective to get a download of that statement. Uh, it's, It's an easy way to see what you earned over the years. And when you had good years, when you had bad years, It might explain some things that you look at in your financial picture and you understand now why things were like they were during those periods in your life. Okay, well, that's enough material for this episode. Okay, let's wrap up for today. What did we learn and what are we going to do next? I'm sure that if you have an opportunity to do any of this homework, it will be beneficial to you. I'd like you to kind of promise yourself, you know, I'd say promise me, but it's really more important if you promise yourself that you'll take the initiative to do some of these things. Start with number two or maybe do number seven for fun. You know, the Social Security exercise. I'm telling you, that one alone, You, if, if you're listening to this podcast or while you take a walk at lunch or while you're eating your lunch at your desk, you know, download that Social Security statement real quick. That's a quick exercise you can do, and you will be absolutely amazed. Number two was net worth. Calculating your net worth, your assets minus your liabilities, and figure out where your starting point is or where you are right now today. Where do you stand? It's the beginning of the month. February balances are out there. Log into those accounts. Download your Uh, your balances or just write them down on a piece of paper. This is not something you need a spreadsheet for uh, unless you have an uh, inordinate number of different accounts, but write down your investment balances, write down your 401k balances or 403b or whatever you have in retirement accounts. Uh, Write down your mortgage amount if you have any debt, credit card debt, um, car loans, Write those things down. Figure out what your net worth is. Some people say, well, do I count my car as an asset because it costs me $20,000 to buy the same car today and I owe $12,000 on my liabilities? I'd say if you're going to count it as an asset, don't count it as any more than what you owe on it because it's depreciating faster than you're paying the debt off. So uh, chances are, um, you know, if, if you've got car loans, make sure you count those as liabilities. If you want to put an offsetting number on the asset side and say that car is worth something for you, well, what is it really worth today? You may owe 12 on it, but it may be worth only eight. Okay, look it up on uh, Kelly Blue Book site and say, uh, I've got this year model. It's got this many miles. It's in this condition. 
What's that number? If you want to do that, go ahead and do it. If it makes you feel better about your, your assets, because you know that car does have some value. Just realize it's depreciating every day. But check out that net worth. You're going to be glad you take a look and, and kind of gauged where you really stand today. You got to know where you are to figure out where you're going. All right. So that is the two things you may want to jump right into. But uh, the other thing I want you to kind of promise is I want you to have a dialogue, uh, you know, in all honesty with yourself or with your significant other. What are your dreams? Uh, Can you connect where you are with where you want to be? Are you living within your means? These are things that matter. Are you growing the gap? You remember the gap? You know, income minus expenses equals the gap. Are you growing the gap? Are you creating more breathing room or adding to assets like investments? Uh, what is your net worth? It's extremely important that both people in a relationship have a clear picture of that financial landscape. That doesn't mean you need to take turns paying the bills every month. It means you have to have open communication about all of your financial accounts, your debts, your credit cards, all of your financial uh, items. I would suggest at least a quarterly discussion, and it could be as detailed as required for both of you to feel up to date. You know, my wife and I are both financial people, and if I show her our balance sheet and I show her our P&L, that's pretty much all she needs to see. She doesn't need to see the detailed transactions, okay? Um, now, if she says, why is this so high in this month? Uh, you know me, I'm going to go to the pivot table and I'm going to double click on that number and I'm going to tell her what was in those transactions. And she's going to say, oh, yeah, I remember that. But chances are she knows in her head already because she is very tuned in to what's going out the door. If you find yourself in a situation where uh, you're hiding something from your spouse, you may want to consider coming clean. Let me say that another way. Strongly consider coming clean. You know, having everything on the table and having open discussion of where you really are uh, is is really important. Uh, I am not a um, psychologist. I am not a counselor. I'm just saying it's good to not have those kind of secrets related to money. I would suggest also if you have a high debt balance that you read Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. Uh, I'll put the link to that book in the uh, show notes. And if you're struggling with the debt side of your net worth, and also the relationship perspective. This is a good book to read uh, when, you, when you're considering how do I get a positive net worth. I got a lot of bills. I got a negative net worth. I need to get out from under this debt. That's a great way to start. Well, that's it for this episode. I want you to take action. Mind the gap as always. Assets are good. Liabilities are not so good. <laughs> you know, that's probably not a fair generalization, but uh, grow your assets, shrink your liabilities, grow your net worth, grow your income, shrink your expenses, grow the gap, mind the gap, and use that gap for your future success and financial independence. The path to financial independence is different for everyone. Sometimes you accelerate, sometimes you decelerate, Sometimes you take an exit and you have to go back and repeat a portion. You have a goal of pursuing financial independence. Let's clear your path to financial independence. This is Lambo, the Phylighter. Thanks for joining us today. Many of you have asked, what can you do to help spread the Phylighter message? 
Here are three ways you can help. Number one, share a link to the podcast with someone you think would benefit from this content. You probably know like-minded people that would enjoy the Firelighter life as much as you do. Number two, if you use Apple's podcast player, write a review. These are particularly helpful to the others exploring our podcasts and help the search algorithms place value on the Firelighter community. Number three, hit subscribe on whatever podcast player you're using. We want you to be the first to get the latest episodes when they're released. That's it. I would really appreciate it if you could do any or all three of these things. My goal is to highlight or highlight relevant information on each of your paths to financial independence. A wealth of information will benefit you, whether you're a millennial or young boomer. It may be only that you need to change your course heading just a few degrees to make early retirement a reality. We will continue to explore the issues and topics in front of young boomers as well as valuable lessons for the millennials to accelerate everyone's path to FI. Remember, mind the gap. Income plus. Expenses minus. The result is the gap. Grow the gap. Remember to subscribe wherever you enjoy the Ladder podcast to receive new content as it's released. I look forward to your comments, feedback, and engagement with other Firelighters. You can also subscribe to the Firelighter Facebook page. Links are available in the show notes. I'm Lambo. Let's clear your path to financial independence. Make it happen. Grow the gap. This is Lambo, the Firelighter. If you're hungry for more, visit Firelighter.com. Buckle up, downshift, and dump the clutch. You are in for an accelerated ride into your financial future with Lambo, the Phi Lighter. Episode 8 was recorded March 2nd and 3rd, 2021. Just a quick show edition here. I just want to apologize to our international listeners. A lot of the content today talked about the social security system here in the United States. We realize we have an international audience, and I know that some of the countries you're in have similar programs, uh, probably managed very differently. But for uh, the most part, I just wanted to apologize to each of you for the U.S.-specific content Once again, we're in 26 states, so if uh, those of you could share the podcast with uh, others you know in other states, we can get to all 50. And I appreciate all 15 countries for being supporters and listeners of the Firelighter podcast. Thank you once again.